Welcome. Thanks for joining us today, wherever you're watching from today. We're so glad to have you with us. I want to speak today on a very important subject that's called living from rest. Well, actually, living in rest and living from rest. You see, living from rest is something that God wants us to experience in our daily lives. Number one, because it makes our life more enjoyable. Number two, because it actually makes our life more productive. A little statement I've always kind of spoken over my own life these last few years is this one. I am at my best when I'm living in rest. When I look at my life and I'm in a condition of rest, it's amazing how my life is more productive. When I'm in stress or when I'm striving, even though I'm doing more, I seem to be producing less. How do we experience this rest that God promises us? How do we experience living from a state of rest as something that God promised us? It was actually offered to the people in the Old Testament, but they never received it or knew it. But yet it's available, according to the book of Hebrews, to you and me today. A condition of rest that affects the way we live and actually the productivity of our life. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn them to the book of Hebrews with me today, Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. When we look at this discussion concerning a rest that God originated and desires for us today to know, to live in and to live from. It says, therefore, <clears throat> since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And it says in verse three, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way. It says, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works or his labors. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. He's not speaking there of us. He's speaking of those that are mentioned previously in the Old Testament who were under the leadership of Joshua. But then in verse six, it says, since therefore it remains that some must enter, enter what? Enter his rest. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear my voice, hear my invitation, do not harden your hearts. It's amazing that a hard heart will keep you from all the things that God intends for you to experience. Then it says in verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That's you and me. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, just as God has ceased from his. That's a large passage of scripture, but it contains so many essential truths for the person that desires to know the rest of God in their life, live in the rest of God and live from the rest of God in the things that they do. <clears throat> Number one, it speaks of two groups of people, those who were led by Joshua 
and us today. It speaks of a group of people that because of a lack of faith or obedience, never experienced the rest that God intended for them. But then he says the offer of rest is still on the table. It's still available to those who want to experience this rest that I've designed for them to know. So those who were under the leadership of Joshua never experienced this rest, but we can experience it today. It also reveals that it's a rest that can be known by us, but it's only entered into by faith. This rest that God speaks of, that we're to experience in our daily lives, a rest that he designed for us to know, isn't according to our labor, our performance or our working, but rather it's in accordance to our believing. We enter into his rest, a rest that he designed for us to know by faith alone. Also, this passage of scripture tells us how God rested from his labor and how we, by faith, enter into his rest, the rest of his finished work. It speaks of God being busy in the foundation of time. It also speaks of the things that God has achieved by his labors and how God has now finished his labors and how God is positioned in a position of rest and now invites us to come into Christ, but also into his rest, not in moments like Sunday or Sabbath days that we may uh, institute in our daily weeks, but a condition of rest that we enjoy Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, something that's a continual in our life and not just a moment. Now, in the book that I wrote a little while ago called Breathe Again, I dedicated a whole chapter to understanding the importance of God's rest in your life. But I want to take a few moments today to encourage you with some of the key thoughts that I included in that chapter of the book I wrote, Breathe Again. But for us to enter in to the rest of God is for us to experience a different way of living. For us to live in God's rest and live from God's rest is for us to see that our lives changed when we believed in God and became his family. And the standard or the way we live our lives should now be different. God wants to cross us over from the panic-filled way of living that the world knows, that we all knew before we belonged to God. He wants to cross us from a panic living to something that's a rest-based well of life. Not that we're not busy, not that we're not diligent, not that we're not industrious, not that we don't live to achieve um, things, especially the purposes of God. But we do all of those things from a condition of being rested in our heart, not in the panic-stricken way of people who are actually their own leadership, their own leaders in their life responsible for our own being. We see our lives as new creation believers, as people who are now a part of God's family, living in God's intentions and provision for our life. So God wants us to stop panting the breath of mere existence but came through being born into a fallen Adam. And he wants to cross us over to experience the rich breath, the rich breath of living that comes from being a spirit-filled people that we've become now in Christ. 
So he wants us to find rest, but also for us to remain in rest. And this can be the tricky part. Sometimes when you speak about the rest of God and you read Hebrews 4, people can find God's rest, but they don't know how to remain in that rest. Sometimes people have come to me and they've said, oh, I found the rest of God. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. But then you speak to them a couple of weeks or a few months later and suddenly they're in panic again. They're, they're panting the breath of mere existence. They're living in the same patterns and cycles of the people that don't belong to God. And you say, did you lose the rest? Well, you can't lose what God gives. That means you've come out of his rest back into the former way or default setting of what you once knew before discovering the rest of God. Now, he wants us to find his rest, but also remain in his rest. Often when I'm teaching this, I'll use the example of three chairs. But all of us experience three chairs in our walk or our relationship with God. Chair one, we could call separated. And that's the condition we had before we gave our lives to Christ. We were separated from and life itself. But then there was a moment where we believed in Christ and he moved us from separated and placed us in another chair that we could call saved, which means everything that needed to be done to save us had been done. We entered into the salvation of God through faith alone. He took us from being separated to being seated in his salvation. Now, that's the place that God wants us to live from. That's the place that when we consider all that he's done and how we could add nothing to what he'd done to produce the salvation we're experiencing, we should be able to rest in that seated position of salvation. But being human, what do we often do? I know that I've done this many times. Instead of being remained seated in that salvation where I'm living in all that he's accomplished, something within me in the default setting of who I am causes me to shift to a third chair, which would be, I call this self-accomplished or self-achieving. That all of a sudden something within me says, but I've got to do this, I've got to do that. If I do this, this will happen. Even in my walk with God, I can move from a condition of resting in a seated position of salvation to striving again or trying to make things happen by my own ability. And that's where God steps in. He says, no, no, come back from that third chair of self-achievement. Make a decision to be seated continually in a finished salvation, in the fullness of what he accomplished for you. Now, one major key to us experiencing God's rest in our life as a continual, not just as a moment, is that we need to cease from our labours. Again, that doesn't mean that we're not diligent in life, that we don't work hard. The Bible records a lot of blessings for those who work hard. I'm talking about when we're striving to do things that have already been done or we're striving to achieve things that God doesn't want us to achieve, or we're striving to do things that only he can do, or indeed he's done. That's when we can lose the rest out of the central place of our lives and suddenly wake up and be striving again. God wants to deliver his new creation, born again family from a life of striving. Even though we may be busy putting our hands to things, he wants us to live from this promised condition of rest. So it says in Hebrews 4 verse 10, for he who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, 
has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. That's a great statement there in Hebrews 4 verse 10. How do we put that another way today? We could say you need to stop trying to always make things happen in your own strength or ability, especially the things that are already done or achieved. Three good examples that we can use to underline how we can bring ourselves out of rest sometimes when we shouldn't is number one, when we consider God's love. Now, these three things are things that I always try to have established in my heart before I even get out of bed in the morning. Because it's amazing the craziness of the world that we live in. And just the pace of life can sometimes cause us to jump out of bed and not have certain foundational things in place in our hearts. And before long, we drift like an unsecured boat back into striving and performance. And we have to then go through the routine of returning to rest. I think one thing that you learn when you walk with the Lord over a number of years is you want to stop leaving the rest and you want to uh, learn how to better remain in that which he's given you to know. So number one, let's consider God's love. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. If you get out of bed in the morning to do things to make God love you more, what you're doing is you're leaving his rest that's based on what he's already accomplished and that which he's already done through his son 2,000 years ago. And you're turning to the works that you can produce. But in doing things, you gain nothing that isn't available to you through faith alone. So when we consider the love of God, because we've been raised in a world where often love is earned or love is maintained by things we do, it's amazing how we can bring that corrupted thought into our love relationship with God. But what we need to develop as a habit in our life, again, even before we get out of bed in the morning, is number one, God loves me. Today, I can live in his love. I can rest in his love. I haven't got to get out of bed to do uh, today and start to do things for God to make him love me. I haven't got to maintain things with God to keep his love. You see, God doesn't love. He is love. God is love. And he has positioned us to be rested in his love. His love isn't fickle. His love isn't changing. You know, the love of this world can be fickle and changing. And like I said, can be based on what we do or what we don't do. That's not the way that God loves. And if we're at rest in God's love, that's a great way to start the day. So again, let me just underline this thought again. Nothing you can do can make him love you more. God wants you to live and rest in his love because you know the security of his never changing love towards you. Number two, God's salvation. Remember, we believe in a salvation that's justification by faith, which means that our righteousness or our stand before the Lord or our condition of now being saved was never based on us keeping the law or on our performance, but solely on the faith that we placed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. So if our faith in Christ produced our salvation, do the works that we want to do the other side of our salvation 
maintain that salvation. Isn't that a little bit like God giving us something for nothing in the beginning and then sending us a bill later on? No, the truth is our salvation is by faith alone. And when we place faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. We don't maintain our salvation by how we live. Don't get me wrong. Our salvation should cause a transformation within us. Our salvation should cause changes that take place in who we are, how we treat people, how we do things. But we've got to understand that none of the changes that we make produce the condition of our salvation. Our salvation is the produce and the stable, solid, immovable produce of faith in Jesus Christ alone. So again, before I get out of bed in the morning, number one, I am loved. God loves me. And nothing I do or don't do affects his love towards me. I'm going to live and find rest in his love. Number two, I am saved. I don't have to get up today and do things to maintain or secure my salvation. I've just got to stay in relationship with God and keep my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then number three is another one that can affect us all. Living in rest concerning God's promises. Again, I cover all of these thoughts in the book that I wrote a couple of years ago called Breathe Again. And I really expand and open up these thoughts. But I just want to give you brief highlights of them today. When it comes to God's promises, what God has said he will do, he will do. And if he needs your help, he will ask. The problem is when God gives us a promise and we start to get involved in help him, helping him make it happen, we ruin it, don't we? We spoil it, we defile it, we pollute it. When God gives us a promise, it's based on his grace. It's based on his ability to do. What we need to learn to do when it comes to the promises of God is the same as what we do when it comes to the love of God, our salvation. We need to take the seat of resting in the promise that he's given us, knowing that we just walk in the direction of that promise, but it's God himself who will make that promise come to pass. Remember, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. A great example of how to do this wrong is the life of Abraham, isn't it? So many promises were given to Abraham, but I'm thinking specifically of the one involving the son that he desired above all things, Isaac, that son that he'd never had. God steps into his world and gives him a promise. There's no um, account of Abraham saying, gimme, 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 gimme. It's like God knows what Abraham desires, steps into Abraham's world and says, I'm going to give you the child that your heart desires. Your child, you're going to be a father of many nations, both naturally and spiritually. Now, what did Abraham need to do at that point? Remember, if he was living in the rest of knowing that the responsibility of the promise was on God, he could have just simply gone into the tent, walked into direction of that promise, known his wife, and then sat back down in an armchair and said, I don't know how, she's a barren, I'm old, she's old, I don't know how, but I know that God has promised me this child. And what would have happened was nine months later, the, the child that God promised, which was Isaac, would come to pass. But what does Abraham do? The same thing that we often do when God gives us a promise. He thought, let me help God out. And suddenly you see 
Abraham and Sarah begin to come up with this plan that involves Hagar and he sleeps with the maidservant Hagar. They produce not Isaac, but Ishmael. Ishmael suddenly causes all these problems in the home and Ishmael actually marked history in a different way. Now, after all of Abraham's help and assistance and getting involved to make it happen, still God produced and gave Abraham a son that he promised called Isaac. You see, Ishmael wasn't the promised child. Ishmael was the produce of Abraham and Sarah trying to help God out. And that actually caused a lot of problems for them, didn't he? And suddenly he had to be put out of the camp and and Sarah's maidservant Hagar had to be sent away. There was a lot of trouble that came with Abraham's helping God out. Isn't that the same for us also sometimes? When we try to help God, it can get really messy. All Abraham had to do was sit back and say, well, God, you've promised this. You're the author and the finisher of my faith. So I'm going to rest in the promise, walk in the direction of it, but rest in the promise and let you bring it to pass. Why do we live with such unrest sometimes in our lives? That's a good question, isn't it? I think there's two answers that come to mind. Number one, because we have not positioned ourselves correctly in his providence. You see, he is now our protector and our provider. Before we knew God, we couldn't have rest in our life, especially the rest that God wanted us to know, because we were the protector. We were the provider of our life. Suddenly, when we become born again, we become a part of the family of God. And God becomes our caregiver. Look at the covenant names of God, our healer our provider, our protector, our victory. All of those covenant names become our experience of God. And God wants us to rest in his providence. What does providence mean? It means simply his protection, his provision, his arms and his hands as a shield around your life. When we're born again, we enter in to Christ. We become in Christ. We also enter into his rest and being in his rest makes us subjects of his providence. Today, are you relaxing in the confidence, resting in the confidence that God is your protector? God is your provider. Or are you still trying to protect and provide for yourself? Another good reason for why we sometimes experience unrest in our life is because we've never learned to cast our cares upon him. This is something that he invites us to do But when we do it, we've got to make the decision that we're no longer carrying our cares ourselves. To cast means to throw away, to abandon. God says, I want you to know my providence, my protection and my provision. But I also want you to cast your cares upon me. A well-known verse is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, cast all of your cares. That word care means anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. I also love what it says in Psalms 55 verse 22. Cast your cares on God for he will sustain you. Now whether it's in the New Testament or in the Old Testament you can hear the heart of God towards those who belong to him. Don't carry your cares and your anxieties. Live a life where you daily cast them upon me and walk in a rest that I intended for you to know. So according to Hebrews 4 Rest comes from humbling our life before him, 
entering into what he's done and has promised us by faith alone and then us ceasing from our labours. I want to encourage you today, stop doing things to make God love you. Stop doing things to keep yourself saved. Stop doing things that will help God make his promises come true. Rather, move from the chair of self-achievement to the, the chair of I am saved, seated in Christ, and God has got my back. Christianity, you see, was never meant to be a burden or a heavy weight that we, ca that we carry, rather a new way of living. Listen to how Jesus presents Christianity in what he says in the Gospels. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And as you do this, you will find rest for your weary soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come on, hear Jesus saying those words to you today. Christianity and being a follower of Christ shouldn't be something that internally exhausts you. Rather, when we come to him, we cast our heavy burdens and our cares upon him and we take on his yoke and we take on his burden, which he says are easy and light. Today, I want to encourage you, maybe read through Hebrews 4 again and afterwards pray, thank you, Lord, for a rest that you've provided for me to know. I'm not going to be like those who were led by Joshua. I'm not going to ignore, harden my heart but rather I'm going to enter in to this rest that you originated for me to live in. Not only am I going to enter into it, but I'm going to remain in it. I'm going to live in your rest and from your rest. And as I do, my life will be more enjoyable and it will also be more productive. God bless.